doing a series here, and welcome, uh, doing a series called Rumor Has It, uh, idea we borrowed from Eagle Brook Church up in Minneapolis. Uh, it's hilarious listening to their stuff because uh, the pastor up there said that they literally had somebody, uh, one of the rumors was that they gave away free beer, and that's why so many people came to their church. I'm just going to let it drop because I, I, I can hear the amens, but that, that's not what we do. There are a lot of rumors. A lot of people uh, you know, want to talk about why is a large church doing what they're doing and, and how does the whole thing work. Last week was probably one of the most important sermons that I've preached here in the last three years. If you didn't, go on, if you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to go online, uh, watch it, listen to it, because it, it was all about the rumor is that church is a big show. And the whole premise of the sermon last week was it, it, it's the reason that we do what we do is to make Jesus accessible. Everything we do is to make Jesus accessible. And I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about my, my cousin in China who's a missionary. You know what they did when they went to China as missionaries? They learned Chinese. Makes sense, right? We understand if we're going to go if we're going to go into the mission field, we should like figure out their culture, right? Well, guess what? The United States of America is the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. There are now 190 million unchurched Americans all around us, and, and we have been put in this place in this time. You know what the people around us speak? Duh bears, right? That's what they speak. You know, do you know what they listen to? They listen to rock. They listen to pop music. They don't speak in, in, in Shakespearean English. They don't listen to hymns. They, nobody has an organ track going in their house when they walk in from work on Pandora. All right? If you do, God bless you. I'm glad you're here, but most people don't. So we're trying to go into our culture with the gospel and make Jesus accessible. As the Apostle Paul said, become all things to all men so that by all possible means, we might win some. A friend down in uh, Oklahoma City has a, is a saying, he says, we'll do anything short of sin to tell people about Jesus. That's what I talked about last week. This week, we're going to talk about um, the church just wants your money. And, and uh, you know, the, the problem is, as we made up that little thing at the beginning with the televangelist, the problem is you don't really know. You don't really know what happens. You don't really know how the whole thing is going to work. And the truth is, we do need money to operate. We do take up an offering. Things, things do cost money. Uh, one day, Doreen, who was our receptionist, answered the phone, and uh, she you know, answered Parkview Church, and the guy goes, hey, I'd like to talk to the head hog at the trough. Doreen was like, excuse me? He said, I'd like to talk to the head hog at the trough. And Doreen said, well, sir, if you mean our senior pastor, you, you, you're going to have to address him differently than that, you know, Dr. Harlow or, you know, Pastor Tim or whatever, but not head hog at the trough. And the guy goes, oh, sorry, I was just going to talk to him about the million dollars I was going to give to the building program. And Doreen goes, well, hang on a second, I think the big pig just walked in. <laughs> It does take money, okay? I mean, you know, there's, there's truth to this rumor, but let me explain it, all right? There are two reasons why I'm going to tell you that we are going to talk about biblical stewardship, about money, about our things. The first one is that giving centers your life around what's important. What's important? What is important? Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And your money goes where your heart is. Jesus didn't say it might be. Jesus didn't say it probably will be. He said it's absolute. It will be. Think about this from a sports perspective, right? I'm a Hawks fan. 
But let's just be honest. I'm usually only a Hawks fan towards the end of the season. You know? And it's not hard to be a Hawks fan. What, three cups in six years? This is not a difficult assignment, right? I, I'm, I'm such a fair-weather Hawks fan, I don't even own a Hawks jersey. When I preached in a Hawks jersey after they won the cup, it was borrowed. I'm just, I'm just coming clean here, okay? I'm just coming clean. I'm a Bears fan. But the only reason I have a Bears jersey is because I got to go do chapel for them several years ago, and I thought, well, I ought to be wearing one. And sometimes I don't want to admit that I'm a Bears fan. Like last Sunday afternoon when I was walking through the Atlanta airport and I happened to notice the game was on, you know, one of the bars in the airport, and everybody's standing around, and I'm kind of watching, and it's kind of close, and then all of a sudden everything starts to fall apart, you know, and I just kind of walked away really slow. I didn't say anything. I did. I'm a fair weather fan, okay? I'm a, I'm a fair weather a lot of things when it comes to fans. I'm a fair weather St. Louis Cardinals fan. But again, it's easy to be a Cardinals fan because they win a lot. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Here's who the people that have the real heart are. Cub fans. We, we salute you. We salute you. We do. We applaud you. I mean, uh, you know, 150 years without anything happening, we salute you. Okay, because you guys are dedicated. You're wearing the stuff, right? Somebody saw our volunteer shirts. They're like, Cub Blue, it's about time. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Thank you very much. We're with you. But you see what I'm saying? You've invested in it. You, you know, here, here's the deal. It takes heart to do that. It takes heart to be involved in things. And, and what we're going to talk about is I don't care whether you're part of our slice, the part view slice of the kingdom of God or not. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, you ought to maybe buy a jersey. Maybe it's time to get season tickets. Jesus told a story one day. They were talking about money, and Jesus said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What a terrible problem, right? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I will say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then he goes on, he says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. How does that grab you? I said this last week, but the only biblical command I have as a teacher from Jesus is to teach them everything I have commanded. That's in the Great Commission, last words of Jesus. Teach them everything I have commanded. So I'm supposed to teach you what he has commanded. Do you know what the number one subject Jesus taught on was? It wasn't prayer. It wasn't faith. It was this issue. It was our possessions and our money and how we manage it. Number one, almost half of the parables are about this issue. If it was the most important thing to Jesus, then I'm going to teach it to you. It's, it's about helping you to understand what is important. I mean, process this story. Maybe you've heard this story before, but process Let me summarize this story. Once upon, Jesus made this up. Once upon a time, there was a man who was selfish, kept everything for himself, and then he died. 
and God called him a fool. The end. And they all lived happily ever after. And that's, that's Jesus' story. I can't wait to read that story to my grandkids, you know? They're going to be excited. Papa, I don't like that story. Is there a book about turtles? Listen, I don't know why Jesus took it as hard as he did, but I don't want to be a fool. I don't want you to be a fool, so we're going to talk about it. But again, it's, it's not about money. God's not up in heaven going, boy, I hope those people in Chicago come through because Detroit's a little bit behind right now. He's not doing that. Jesus talked about it because he knew that, that, he knew that this is attached to this. You see what I'm saying? This is how the whole thing works. And foolish is the only word that he could use to describe the irrational idea that I'm going to spend everything that I have on temporary stuff and give no thought to eternal stuff. Jesus goes on, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's That's the whole part of that verse. It's foolish not to do that. This, this is not about your salvation. Please let me just add this caveat. No, it's not. You can be selfish and go to heaven. You can be a liar and go to heaven. You can be an adulterer and a murderer and go to heaven. We understand all those things. Jesus died for all of our sins. And, and, and he loves me even when I'm selfish because I am too. But the summary of this story is that someday we're going to get to heaven. We're, we're going to get to the pearly gates and God's going to go, okay, tell me how it went. And, and we're, what are we going to say, Really? Well, I drove a nice truck, played 700 rounds of golf, owned a house. I watched every episode of Duck Dynasty. (laughs) Rick Warren says it this way. Two questions God's going to ask you on that final day. What did you do with my one and only son, Jesus? Did you put your faith in him? And what did you do with your one and only life? That's it. Did you put your faith? Because the first one's about your salvation. The second one's about your mission about what you do. And we want your heart to be about the kingdom. That's what we want. And everything that we give to to God, everything that we invest in the kingdom is going to live forever. And everything that we leave here is going to go away. It may go away faster than we know. We've already been through a recession recently, right? You know this. You know how fast things can go. And I'm going to tell you something. I have inside scoop on the future a little bit, I want to tell you something. There's going to be another recession, and it's going to be soon. I have proof. In 1972, Milt Pappas of the Chicago Cubs pitched a no-hitter. Immediately after, the Dow Jones fell 40%, ladies and gentlemen. In 2008, Carlos Zambrano pitched a no-hitter for the Chicago Cubs. There was a, immediately a 6 thousand point drop in the market as soon as this happened. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Right. So what happened a couple of weekends ago? Jake Arrieta for the Chicago Cubs pitched a no hitter. It's all going in the toilet, ladies and gentlemen. Get out your checkbooks, write it to God right now. I can promise you there's going to be reception. Number two, giving sinners your life around who's important. Giving sinners your life around what's important. Absolutely. But it also centers your life around who's important. 
Jesus told a story, one of the most important stories I think he told was the story of the prodigal son. We talk about it a lot around here. But there were a couple of other stories in Luke 15 that also kind of augmented the story of the prodigal son. And you got to know we're all, again, we're about making Jesus accessible for those people that are outside, the people that aren't in the kingdom. That's who the church, the church is the only organization that exists for the people that are outside of its organization. But that's what we do. And Jesus said, this is so important. He, said, he told two more stories. He said, one of them was about a woman who lost a coin and how important it was for her to find it. And the other one was about a guy who lost one sheep. He had a hundred sheep, but he lost one sheep and he left the 99 and he went to find the one because that was what was important. And when he found the one, he called his friends and neighbors together and said, rejoice with me. Let's have a party. I found my lost sheep. I don't know if the friends and neighbors were all that excited about it. But he was excited about it because that was his priority. And I tell you the way, I tell you the truth that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In, in other words, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person that's not in the church that finds Jesus than the 99 people who already have the church. Or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. The point of the story, again, Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. That's the job of what we do. That's the job of the church. Some people have said, Tim, I think your preaching has changed a little bit lately. And, and some of them have said that for the better and for the worse. And I don't know. I, I, I don't really think it has. But, but there is something that's going on inside of me that I've been processing with God for about a year. And, well, I guess, I guess it probably has a lot to do with the fact maybe it is a, almost exactly a year because I'm a grandpa. And the thing that I'm processing is that I'm old. And I'm going to die. I have a shelf life. I am not a Twinkie. <laughs> Somebody tweet that. That's, that's deep. <laughs> I, am, I think I'm starting to feel an urgency for the fact that I, I'm, I'm not really going to live forever. I am a grandpa. I am getting older. And I'm, I've got a limited amount of time here on this earth and I have an urgency about my mission. One of my favorite Jesus stories is about Jesus meeting this woman at the well who is a woman that nobody else wants to be friends with and certainly wasn't uh, religiously correct to be involved in the kingdom of heaven, right? And Jesus is talking to her, and it makes the disciples so uncomfortable that like a bunch of women going to the bathroom, they all leave to go find lunch together. You know, let's all go together. It takes 12 guys to carry a pizza. I don't know what it was. They, they just didn't want to be there. So they come back, you know, they come back with, it, with it, whatever, with the Taco Bell, and they're like, here, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Did you see the taco truck? I didn't see the taco truck. And Jesus says, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. That's my food. 
Don't you have a saying, it's four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest right now. That's my food. If something has changed in my preaching, it's that I realize, it's not that I'm stopped eating food. It's that I realize that I have a limited amount of time to do the work of him who sent me and finish his work. Many people have commented about our current president and uh, his boldness in his speech and the, some of the things that he said that he would have never said before when he had to get reelected. And I've been, thinking, I've been thinking about that. No matter how you feel about that, that's the truth. He doesn't have to get reelected. And I think maybe that's where I'm at. You can call me second term Tim if you want, okay? That's kind of where I'm at. I, I've been preaching here for almost 26 years now, and uh, I hope to go 14 more years. I'd like to do 40 years here, but, but I guess what I'm working on now is, is what, what is going to happen in those 14 more years? If God lets me go to 68, what, what am I going to do with myself? Because we have a 2020 vision, and I realize that 2020 is not very far away. Our 2020 vision is to to be able to reach 20,000 people on a weekend basis in five campuses in the south suburbs, to plant 25 25 churches, independent churches, nationally, and 100 churches internationally. And we're we're on our way. I don't know if we're going to hit all those marks or not, but we're on our way. I'm realizing, wait a minute, if if we get our 2020 vision, i got to have a 2030 vision. And I know, I know, I know 2030 vision is not as good as 2020 vision, but I'm old. I need bifocals. This is working, all right? What's my 2030 vision? Am I, if we hit a 2020 vision, am I going to just sit around for 10 years and lower my handicap? No, I have to do the work of him who sent me, the will of him who sent me, and I have to finish his work. That's what I have to do. So I don't know what the 2030 vision is yet. I think a part of it is something that I, I, I did Last week, when I preached here on video and went to Jacksonville to help a church start life on mission, part of it is about helping a lot of other churches figure out how to get on mission. I think part of it is about bringing heaven to earth to the othermost parts of the world, which is why in a couple of weeks, uh, some of us will be going to Malawi. It'll take me 30 hours from the time I leave to the time I get there, not all on the plane, some layovers. I hate to fly. I really hate to fly across continents. I, I don't want to do that, change time zones. I don't want to do all that stuff. But that's what God's called me to do. So we're going to take the third poorest country in Africa, and we're going to try to transform it because that's the will of him who sent me. And, and I've got to hurry because I'm not a Twinkie. Rumor has it I'm going to die someday. The, the doctors, are, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like telling you that I've been diagnosed with anything. I've got ADHD. I've got high cholesterol. I eat too much bacon, okay? Every, everything else is good. I'm fine. I just had this motivation. I just realized, you know, I, I've only got a little bit of time. And I guess I, I also kind of realized I don't need to make people happy. I just need to make God happy. At the end of it all... He's going to ask me, what did you do with my one and only son, and what did you do with your one and only life? Were you trying to make people happy, or were you trying to do what I asked you to do? So we're going to keep moving. We're going to launch a new campus, and I'll tell you about that next week. Uh, From the ground up, we're going to build it from the ground up, because that's the only way we could figure out how to do this. So next March, I'm just giving you a little heads up. Next March, we're going to do another capital campaign, and I'm going to ask you to give And you're going to give to people that you might not ever meet. And you're probably going to give to a campus that you may never go to. But that's about who's important. The ones who haven't been found yet. 
And you'll get to have the fun of watching heaven to earth and earth to heaven happen in a way that you've maybe never, ever done before. And the truth is most preachers are terrible at dealing with this, with a new vision, with asking for money, with trying to reach new people when they're my age. I mean, nobody at 54 says, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep making this happen. Nobody at 54 says, we're going to do our fifth capital campaign. This will be my family's fifth capital campaign. I don't know if you get this or not, but that means I got to give too. That means we have to invest. We have to, be, we have to lead in this. But we're going to do it because I have to do the will of him who sent me. And that's my food. So I'm giving you a heads up. You don't want to be a part of it? Spend March in Florida. All right, you got it. You got advance warning. It's going to be hot in Florida in March. Because I've already been praying. But I don't care. I still love you. You do, you do whatever you want. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. Okay? And, and, and here's another thing. A lot of times people think the preacher talks about money because it affects him financially. I mean, the, the televangelist thing is frustrating and... Um, you know, I have to live on the other side of that, and we all know the stories, and that's the thing we made up at the beginning. It's not that far away, and um, I, I, just, I just want to tell you, my pay is not tied to how much money you give. Uh, it's really, really pretty dumb. If, if my pay was tied to how much money you gave, I would be tempted to talk about money every weekend, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm human. Then again, if my pay was tied to how many people came to the church... I would never, ever talk about money, right? Nobody wants to talk about that. Bob Russell, my mentor, said, if you want to draw a crowd, you talk about the end times or sex or will there be sex in the end times? That's how you do it. <laughs> That's how you get a crowd, right? And the truth is, it actually works in opposite. I, I mean, if we wanted to have a lot of money sitting around, we would stop trying to reach new people, and we would just all sit around and hang out and wait for us to get old enough that we needed tax deductions and that we had endowments, and, and we didn't have to add anything or, or do anything differently. And the churches that have a lot of money sitting around are the 70 to 80% of the churches in the United States of America that are stagnant or declining. When you're in a fast-growing church, you can never keep up. I mean, new people are, are not givers. It takes peop new people a while to get on board. They're like adding babies to your family. Nobody ever goes, hey, hon, I'm concerned about our retirement plan. Let's have another baby. You get that, right? I mean, the more people we add, the more of this we need. The, the, the more bottles we need, and that's beautiful because that's what we're, we're looking for the lost sheep. We're looking for the ones to come in and to help them to grow. But if we wanted to have more money, the, the, the pay and the, and the benefits and all those things have never been able to keep up with a fast, one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Buildings are expensive. Services mean, more services mean more staff and more electricity and more communion. I mean, that stuff adds up. Grape juice doesn't grow on trees. You know that. Well, I, I guess it kind of little trees, but you, know, you see what I'm saying? If we wanted life to be easier, and again, I think most pastors, they, they just kind of get, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to push it anymore. And if I ever get to that point, slap me because I've got stuff to do. Actually, we pay well. I want you to know that um, as churches go. But um, there's not a, probably a pastor. We, most of our pastors were involved in a job that was not involving pastoral work when we called them in. 
Um, I'm not really a big seminary guy. I, I want people to have real world experience. And so, you know, a lot of our people came from, you know, just a regular job. And mo- the one, I don't know one of them that came from a, a regular job onto our church staff that didn't take a cut in pay. Maybe Chaz, but he was in college. You know, he worked at Taco Bell, okay? <laughs> For example... Um, Pastor Bill, our executive pastor, had the opportunity when we hired him 12 years ago to be our small groups pastor, he had the opportunity to go take a uh, a territory for a financial advisor that would have paid him uh, instantly a lot more money than we were able to pay him and and would have been a, a really easy way to live a very, very comfortable life in a way less cost of living area. Pastor Richie was a salesman who had to take a pretty major cut in pay to come and be on our staff and and to lead our next campus. And then God gave him a baby. You know, it was kind of like, you trust me? Do you really trust me, right? Then Daisy came along. And and, and again, we pay well. We're the 59th largest church in the country out of 340,000. So our, our pay scale for pastors is pretty darn good. But your giving makes zero difference to that. If you give nothing, I make the same salary. If you give a million dollars, I make the same salary. Our business manager, Wayne, will want to talk to you if you give a million dollars. But it doesn't matter to me. And speaking of that, if I'm sitting in your seat and I know what goes on in the rest of the world, I'm going to want to know, are you responsible with our money? If you go on our website and you look down on the, down on the corner, you will see a, a little seal that says ECFA. That is a stamp of approval by, by the Evangelical Christian Financial Association. It is basically like a Better Business Bureau stamp for churches. What that means is every year we have an independent financial audit and they come in and they look at everything in our books and they approve whether or not the way we're spending our money is, a, is the way that God would want us to spend our money. And that's on there. I just want you to know that. Because we are responsible, but God is doing amazing things and I want you to be a part. And if you've been a part of this church, you know exactly what I mean. Here's what concerns me. The average church in America is financed by 20% of the people. Ours is better than that. But all of the marriages that have been saved at this church, all the poor people all that have been fed, all the clothes that's been given, all the heaven to earth that's been done in countries all around the world, all of the 6,838 baptisms that have happened in the last 25 years, 39, we just had one, all of the stories about guys like Reuben who came in, who didn't have a relationship with God, heard the intro to Highway to Hell and decided to come into church. All of those stories and all those things that have happened at Parkview have been financed by 30% of our group. About 30%. And what I'm telling you is if we're going to reach the 4 million people within a 30-minute drive time of our two campuses, then we need to... We need to have more involvement. We need to have more buy-in. We need you to get a jersey. We need you to buy season tickets for crying out loud. And here's the other thing that gets me. I, I did this last week down in Jacksonville for, for the Life on Mission thing. This is, you've seen me do this a lot if you've been around here. Timeline from Jesus to us. This is my life here, this yellow mark. 50 years on both sides of 2000, all right? This is our lifetime. And this is, what has, this is the time from Jesus to us. Now, look at this. This is the graph of the world population, 
All right, can you see this? I mean, this is Jesus' day. And what happens along in here? I don't know. There's wars, there's pestilence, there's plagues. People just aren't getting together. I don't know what's going on. But the population is not going anywhere until we get all the way over into my lifetime. It's, it's, my, it's like the baby boom, right? That's what they call it. And we get into my lifetime and things go through the roof. That's when things happen. And some of you remember, four, million, four billion people, the world population, five billion people, six billion people, seven billion people. We add another billion people nobody even thinks about it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And I'm supposed to, he put me in this window of time. So the Bible tells us to plan our giving. If you don't plan, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail, right? And you'll find yourself upside down a lot if you don't plan. And I think the reason that, you know, only 30% of our people give regularly to the programs and the things that are going on here is because they just don't plan. My wife and I were taught from the time we were very, very small. If you got 10 cents from God, you gave a penny back. You got a dollar, you gave 10 cents back. We were taught tithing from the time we were very little. So when we got our first paycheck, when we went to our first ministry to make $19,000 a year, we gave $1,900 back to God because that's what we were taught. That's how things went. And now that we make a lot more than that, we give 10% plus back to God because that's what we were taught. And you know what God has done? He has continued to bless us and to give us more. But that never would have happened if we hadn't planned it, if we hadn't given it first, if it hadn't been something that was already in our deal, it was already in our DNA, it was something that we already knew we were going to do. And I know some of you are like, wow, well, I wasn't taught 10%. You don't expect me to get... Listen, this is about you and God, but I want to encourage you to start somewhere. How about planning something? How about, how about just buying a jersey? Just plan something. Let's forget about percentages. Talk in terms of your other investments. Do you give your cell phone provider more than you give the kingdom of God? It's a pretty simple question. Does AT&T get more than God? Does Dish Network get more than God? Does Starbucks get more than God? Really? Is that, I mean, is that, is that how it works? And I want, uh, for, we're going to pass the offering later. I'm not trying to raise money. I don't, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you going home and going, hey, I'd like to move God up on my kingdom priority list. I'd like to move God up above Starbucks. I'd like to move God up from above the bottom. And, and, and I would encourage you to do that and watch what God does along the way. And then maybe move up to your cell phone, you know. Once you start planning it, and we do it online so it's very easy, you'll see very little money in the plates when it goes by because 60% of our congregation does it online, just like I do all my other things that are priorities to me, like not getting kicked out of my house. I do it all online, right? It's very, very simple. I'd love to get to the point where we don't pass an offering plate anymore. We just are all bought in. And move it up. Move it up to a car payment. You know, when God blesses you, you're going to be like, wow, this is, this is really awesome. Move it on up to where you could get to the point where someday you could say, you know what? Our top thing, our top line item that we do in our life, our first priority is the kingdom of God. We're seeking first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Because I'm here to tell you, all these things will be added. And I know that you love the church I really do. I, I, I don't think you're greedy. I don't think you're a fool. I think you just don't have a plan. That's how it works. 
So we have a Dave Ramsey class for you. Actually, next year, we're going to take the whole church through this, but I'd love for you to get a jump start on it. FPU is just a way for you to, again, if this is the number one discipleship issue that Jesus talks about in the Bible, then it ought to be something that we're concerned about. So we're going to help you. Go to parkviewchurch.com, FPU, backslash FPU. We have a class at Orland on Monday and Lockport on Tuesday, nine-week course to help you budget and help you figure out your money. It's going to change your life to be able to do that. Because Jesus said, where your money is, your heart is. And rumor has it, the church wants my money. It's just not true. What we want you to do is to help provide for somebody else the same way somebody else provided for you. Another thing is to get connected in a small group. We talk, we, this has been the you know, gearing up this season for getting everybody in small groups, serving, giving. This is what we do here. These are the things that, that make you a part of our team. We're starting a series called Soul Man. Uh, it's your soul, man, in, uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the one part, and I've never done a whole series on this. We're going to talk about the one part of you that's going to live forever. The older I get, the more glad I am the rest of me isn't going to live forever. But there's one part that is going to live forever, and it's my soul. And, and we're going to talk about that for five weeks. What I want to ask you to do is to host a group. Host stands for have a heart for people, open up your home, or go to Starbucks, or do it at your office, serve some snacks. I don't know, food just is kind of important for those kinds of gatherings, and turn on a DVD. Or go online and pop up your computer. Really that simple. Casey and I have already laid down the teaching for this series. And we would love for you. We don't want you to, we don't want to put weird people at your house that you don't know. We just want you to start a group of the people that you already have. Because you can't just come in here and grow spiritually. You need to get connected to grow spiritually. And we want you to do it. Fill out that form. Throw it in the offering plate when it comes by. Give it to somebody on your way out and host a group. It's that important that you get involved, that you be a part of this congregation. Now, if you're new, again, we, we welcome you. We, we want you to know something. We want you to know that Jesus will change your life. We want you to know that, that we think <laughs> that the, the smartest decision you'll ever make is to follow Jesus. And we believe that so much we're willing to share it with you. Many of you know I got tested for sleep apnea recently. And... Um, Good news or bad, whatever. I'm a CPAPer now. Any, I don't know what you call us. Any CPAPers out there? Okay. Yeah. Uh, this, this is weird. You know, I, I don't know what you call us, Leo, but, but I'm in the club now. Okay. Well, I, I'm in the club. And, and even though I'm still sure that part of my sleep problem is that I think God needs my help to run the universe, I, I think that's still part of my problem. Evidently, the other part of the problem is that during REM sleep, I stop breathing 30 times an hour. So I don't sleep good. Duh, right? So now I got, a, I got a machine to help keep my throat open while I sleep at night. And so far, it's been great. And I'm still, I've been a week in. I'm just getting used to it. Here's the thing. The crazy thing is, ever since I've mentioned it, I have all these new friends. They're all in the club now. They're like, oh, hey, you know? Yeah, my throat closes up at night too. How you doing? It's kind of like the Harley thing. I mean, there's not a wave. I don't know, I don't know what it would be like. Hey, how you doing? That's, that's our new wave, CPAPers. When you see me, go, hey. Right? I mean, what, what, what's fascinating about it is when you talk to somebody about CPAP who has not been sleeping very well, it's like, this has changed my life. It's good news. And if something changes your life, you just kind of naturally want to share it. 
right? Has Jesus changed your life? Has, has Parkview changed your life? I mean, what we hope is that this church becomes <clears throat> so important to you and your family that you become a shareholder. I think that's the best word. You're a shareholder. You've got a group. Now you serve. You give. You invite. You're a shareholder. One of my friends who was a banker and been blessed by God tremendously but is a tremendous giver and always has been, and I think that's part of why God has blessed him. <clears throat> Whenever we have a baptism or there's a, a story of, of somebody who, who found God or something, he'll just send me a text that says, dividend check. He's invested a lot in the, in the kingdom of God through Parkview, and every time he sees that, you know, 200 people getting baptized or, or, or some story about somebody who wasn't welcome at another church and, and we brought them in and said, hey, we want to help you. We want to love you. Whenever he hears that, he just sends me a text. It's a dividend check. This is interest, heavenly interest on, on what's happened in my life. And at some point, if you think about it, somebody, maybe this is your first week, but at some point somebody probably invited you here. And that means that somebody provided a building for you and, and they gave you a seat. And for some of you, you're like, you know, you walk in, somebody's sitting in your seat. You're like, hey, back off, man. That's my seat. I, it's okay. I mean, I understand what's going on. But, but, but here's the deal. <clears throat> somebody provided that. Somebody bought the land, paid a construction company, made a financial pledge, paid for the light bill, paid for the carpet and the lights and the air conditioning and, and all those things. Somebody volunteered their time and their resources to turn what used to be our gym where we used to play rug burn basketball, right, into the city. Have you seen that place back there? They turned it into this place where your first through third graders are, are like, when you come to pick them up, they're like, oh, can you go get a cup of coffee, mom? We're not ready to leave. How awesome is that at a church, right? Somebody provided that for you, and, and, and you, got it, you got that service, and now we have to provide that for other people. I know, I get it, you got it dialed in, you know where to park, you know how to get in and get out. I'm that same kind of person, and a lot of times I, could, I can see the wheel spinning like, why would I want to invite anybody else? Why would I want it to be more crowded here? Tim, could I come to a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, like once in my life? Could I do that? I know, I feel, feel where you're at, and I get it. I do, I really do. I'm like you in other places just like that. I'll give you an example. A real confession for us um, this weekend for my wife and I. We fly Southwest Airlines a lot. Um, so much. We use a Southwest card and we fly it so much that she has a companion pass. She can go anywhere I go for free. Now, I love Southwest Airlines. Free bags. They go to a lot of places I need to go. Beautiful. One thing I don't like is I can't get the seats that I necessarily want unless I pay the extra 12 bucks and do the early bird. And even then, the thing I don't like is there's only one place where there's two seats on any Southwest plane. You may not know this. There's only one two-seater, right? Everything else is a three-seater. Well, I, I don't want to sit by anybody else. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. I don't even care if they're lost. I really don't want to sit by anybody else. All right? I mean, the will of him who sent me only goes so far. Okay? That's it. At some point, I just want to open up my laptop and do my work, you know, or watch what I want to watch. I get this, okay? I'm just admitting to you what we do. And, and, and it, it feels worse every time I say it. But here's what we do. 
Um, we go on, we get the early bird. So we're in the A, pay the extra 12 bucks. We go on, she sits in the window and I sit on the aisle and we put all our junk in the middle seat and act like we don't know each other. I'm, I'm, don't judge me. I'm just being honest. I put up my laptop, you know, put in my headphones like I'm not paying any attention whatsoever. People come in, they need a seat. It starts to get to the middle seat time. I don't care. I'm staying right there. Now, here's the one thing that I do do ahead of time. Again, I'm just being honest. I do this ahead of time. I will ask, is this a full flight? A lot of times on Southwest, there's a full flight. And if I find out it's a full flight, we will wait. <laughs> I'm a horrible person. We will, we will wait until, until the middle seats start to fill up, and then I will watch down the aisle for either a small woman or a horse jockey. And when they come by, I'll be like, hey, would you like the window seat? My wife can scoot over. And they're always like, oh, yeah, I didn't think I'd get a window seat. And so we get this tiny little person to come in and sit by us. And then she moves over. And then we have the most room possible for our flight to wherever we're going. I don't know why you're clapping. I mean, your pastor just admitted some pretty horrible stuff. Do you know why we aren't more accommodating on a Southwest Airlines flight? I don't have any stock in Southwest Airlines. I don't care if you have a nice experience on Southwest. I just want my space. If that's how you feel about the kingdom, then you're not a shareholder. On the other hand, if something has changed your life, you just naturally want to share it. The love of Christ compels you to share it. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He's kind of doing his rumor has it series for the church at Corinth. He's kind of trying to explain himself because people are talking. I love this. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Yes, that's what we do. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. And if it seems that we are crazy, it's just to bring glory to God. All right? Paul said it first. I'm in there. And if we are in our right mind, it is to your benefit. And this is the phrase that gets me. It is the love of Christ that compels us. That's why we do everything that we do around here. And we'd love for you to be a shareholder with us. So we will talk about giving and money. Because it centers your life around what's important. And it centers your life around who's important. And Jesus said, that was important. Let's pray. We'll do the offering. God, I pray that you'll be with us as we, uh, as we worship you. Lord, right now, I, again, I don't, I don't want anybody to feel like they should throw something in here. We do the offering because it's just that it's what you did. It's what the church did in the Bible once a week. They, did, they collected an offering, so we do that. But Lord, I, I, I pray that... It's not about throwing some money in the plate every once in a while. I pray that more and more of our people will, will grow in their own faith, that we will be able to help them grow in their own faith to the point where they're really willing to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be a shareholder in this deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest. I'm going to invite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve. I, I, because I'm, I'm, 
I'm a person whose life has been changed. I'm a person whose life has been changed. And I know there's a lot of people out there that need it. So I'm not going to be one of the sheep that sits around and says, well, wait a minute, what about us? Where'd the shepherd go? Why'd he go out there looking for that lost sheep? I'm going to be, I'm going to be the one that rejoices when the lost sheep is found. I'm going to be a shareholder. I'm going to put you first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.